Hey, thanks Dave Slade for the intro and welcome back to the Baseball America College Podcast. We're down one on today's uh, funky fresh college crew, Mike Lanana out ill, but uh, Ted Cahill and Jim Schoener joining me, John Manuel here at Baseball America. Uh, guys, uh, you know, obviously busy weekend of college baseball. We're kind of into this home stretch now that the calendar has turned to May. I, things get serious, it seems like, when uh, the NFL draft is gone and the calendar turns to May. And things definitely serious at the top of the Big 12 conference, guys. That's a good place as any to start on this week's top 25 rankings and, and how we looked at it. And one of the biggest movers, which was Texas Tech. And, guys, it feels like the further away we get from the Houston College Classic, Teddy, you were there for that one, you saw peak TCU. I guess to sound like Bill Crystal, he was all about peak Trump. Um, now, he got it wrong. Did we see peak TCU in Houston? Because it feels like the Horned Frogs since then uh, have had chances to make a statement. They had their latest chance this weekend against Texas Tech. Instead, it was the Red Raiders making that statement. This, this Texas Tech kind of seized control of the Big 12 this weekend if they didn't already have it. Yeah, TCU um, hosted that series, and they came in in second place. And if they, they had a chance to, to leave... Uh, in first place, or at least have cut the gap to a game if they had uh, just gone two and one. But instead, Texas Tech takes the series, wins a tight one on Sunday, came down to the final out. TCU had uh, the tying run and scoring position. Uh, wasn't quite able to to, uh, to push it across. So Texas Tech now pretty pretty well in control in first place and. You know, TCU now is in third place in the Big 12 behind Oklahoma State. They've lost to those two teams the last two weeks. Um, it was in Stillwater they played Oklahoma State, and they no went one and two up there. Um, so you know they they have had a chance the last two weeks. That you know the Big 12 was was there for the taking for them, um, and now it looks like they they're not going to win the Big 12 uh, regular season. They're still in fine shape overall. Do you, um, do you think they're the third best team in that league? I mean, they're th- 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 at some point you are who your record says you are. No, I don't. I don't know who's I, Texas Tech looks like the best team in the league for sure. Uh, they swept Oklahoma State. They beat TCU um, in Fort Worth. I mean, that's, right. that that certainly looks like the best team. I don't know about between Oklahoma State and TCU. Oklahoma State has been playing a lot better of late. Uh, they started not so great. Um, even if you get outside the first two weekends, they still didn't. It took them a little while to to get things going. Uh, but TCU, I I don't know if Houston might be the the peak for them. But also, you know, when I talked to Jim Schlossenegel last week, he said he felt like their best baseball is in front of them, and I think there's reason to believe that that's true. Uh, Luke and Baker did not pitch this weekend. He's hitting. He's not pitching right now. He's week to week. Uh, with an injury that keeps them off the mound. They're and, certainly not full strength. Right. And Mitchell Traver, though, comes back this Sunday, uh, as long as everything goes well this week. He's slated to, to make his first appearance of the season, and he'll be on a pretty tight pitch count this week, but with the hope that they can have him build him up and he'll be full strength by the time Memorial Day comes around. And if that happens, that would be huge for TCU. Mitchell Traver was supposed to be their opening day starter before right. he went down with his injury. So... If they can get those two guys back, I think they're in fine shape. Um, you know, they uh, to to potentially be playing at at their peak at the right time, which would be in June. Jim, let's go talk a little bit about the Red Raiders because I, I do, in, in, in essence, I agree with Teddy. Like I, I think TCU is going to get better as they get healthier. 
But Texas Tech, they ha- they did take advantage of mm. this, uh, this this opportunity. It sounds like just the talking to other coaches about them who've seen them this year. You know, they have speed, they have power. It's an older offense. They have uh, several veterans from their 2014 College Series trip. It's mm. been a it's really been the offense, and they're a little iffy on defense. But they've had these young arms who've kind of come through for them. Is that kind of been? Is that how you see how they've uh, you know, vaulted themselves at the top of the Big Twelve? I mean, so the lineup is what jumps out, just the way they the way they do it. And it's actually some of their older guys that actually kind of struggled. They've had some newer faces that have stepped up too. But yeah, and we've talked about them about the, the you know the young pitching they've had. But to go on the road and beat TCU, like you guys were saying, that's a place that not many visiting teams can go in and win. And they're, I mean, they're two games up in the standings. They've beaten both of their uh, competitors there with Oak State and TC. So, I mean, they're in great shape to be a national seed and to play at home in Lubbock where they always have great crowds and a great home field advantage. I mean, they're, I mean, they're, it's, all, it's all there for the taking for them to, you know, to get back to Omaha for the second time in three years. One thing about, um, you know, where they are now in the standings is that this is a program that has only ever won the Big 12 regular season title once in its history. And it only has two regular season conference championships. Even if you go back to, to the, the old Southwest, Southwest Conference, yeah. they only have one of those, too. We're talking 20 years now, Big 12. This is the 20th year yeah. of the Big 12. So there's a lot of history there. I mean, it's been since 97 since they won a, yeah. a regular season title. And not, I think it was 98 they won the, the tournament. So they haven't won a Big 12 title of any kind in a really long time. And... I mean, they're they're in a great position to do it. The magic number is five right now. Um, they play. They have six games in the the uh, the conference left. So I mean, they'll uh, if they can do it, it would be a great story. Tim Tadlock has done a, a great job with them, and and you know they did make Omaha two years ago, but last year was a little a little disappointing, missing out on the tournament, and, and they've come back with with uh, very high expectations coming yes, into the year. Yes, but they've they've flushed that, and this team is playing really well right now. Yeah, it just really feels like, you know, I, I just would have thought like coming into the year, looking at their at their roster, I, I would have thought Ryan Mosley would have pitched important innings. He's not even a factor in the Big 12 anymore. It has been new faces. Ty Dameron with his first start in league play on Sunday in a rubber match on the road. And he didn't pitch great, but he pitched well enough for his team to win. He competed, obviously. I mean, this, so you see veteran names. You see familiar names like Eric Gutierrez and Nesloni, I guess. I never know how to pronounce his last name. Forgive me for not knowing how to pronounce it. Tyler Nesloni's last name. That's how it looks. I think that's it. Um, I, you got it. But they've got, you know, they've got power up and down this lineup. So it's it's really been uh, it's a neat story. And again, they've played a couple West Coast schools where I'm doing my draft calls, and everyone who's seen Texas Tech that I've talked to, very impressed with the the, the approach their team takes. And that was a that was a loud series win this weekend. Oklahoma State less loud, but still. Uh, winnings two of three against Texas. So no, they swept. They swept oh, Texas. Texas. Thank you. And um, that is. I mean, and Texas have been hot. They just came from beating Texas right. Tech last weekend. And Oak State goes into Austin and uh, and sweeps a series, which is uh, their third road Big Twelve sweep of the year. I mean, that's a team that uh, is playing well on the road, and some of those sweeps are not against premier competition in the Big Twelve. But it's not easy to go on the road and sweep in conference, and that's something that. Uh, Oklahoma State had never done in the Big 12 era before. It's the first time that Texas has been swept this year as well, which in in conference play, which they've been very competitive in the conference. And does this put a nail in the coffin for UT? I mean, they were under 500 coming in, but they were over. They were nine and six in the conference coming into the weekend, Jimmer, before getting swept. I mean, is this kind of the end for Texas this year? Um, I have to see what the RPI is, but. um, I mean, certainly as an as an if they're hovering around 500. I mean, nine and six. Would be would have been you know okay, but 
If they, um, if they, they are sub 100, this is, oh, this yeah. is it, it's over. I mean, they're they're That's in the, they're in the position over. they were in last year. Uh, they I feel like they've been in that for a little bit now, where it's a matter of going to going to the Big 12 tournament and needing to win it. I just felt like beating Texas Tech has started like yeah, if they had a third place regular season finish mm-hmm. in the Big 12. So the Big 12, we have these three top teams, and Texas Tech, uh, TCU, Oklahoma State. All three of those teams have been ranked at one time or another this season. Mm-hmm. Is there a fourth team that's going to make it, Jim, or is there an at, uh, a, a fourth at large? large no. feels like this is a three-bid league. I just was yep. on the radio in Omaha this morning, and they asked me, uh, you know, a friend of the program, Dave uh, Damon Benning, asked, like, so, you know, we thought Nebraska going to the Big Ten, they'd be able to dominate the Big Ten. And I said, well, the you know, thing is, you didn't know you were going from the Big 12 to, the, to a stronger conference. <laughs> but the Big Ten, year in and year out, feels like it's competitive with the Big 12. And this year, I feel like it's better. Well, I think part of that is that the Big 12 is sitting on nine teams right now, and the Big 10 has 13, and that makes a huge difference because, I mean, maybe some, some if you paired the SEC down to nine teams, it would still be the SEC. But the Big 12, the way it's gone, when you take A&M out of it especially, yeah. they're left with five, five or six teams that historically are really good and then a few teams that are not. And so the – would. The Big Twelve to me right now, the basement is killing it. When yeah, you look at their think, RPI, like that's that's the problem is that I mean, they I have think anchors. That adding TCU has kind of helped make up for losing A and M, but well, to losing me it's the fact missing and then like but te- Texas and OU being down right. is what's really killing it. I think. But if you if you put A and M into it, then you have four like top fifteen teams. Most even years. this year, but I, but I I tend to agree with with Jimmer that you're you're it's the same thing with the Pac twelve. You can't be a good Pac-12 year if UCLA and USC both stink. Yeah, you just can't. It just—I mean, it's it just historic. It would be so difficult to expect the northern schools in that league to carry it. And the flagship franchises of the Big 12 are Texas and Oklahoma. And we thought Oklahoma would be good this year. We weren't as high on the Longhorns, but we weren't the only ones who thought Oklahoma would be good. And both those programs. Especially from a uh, th- both those teams are down. I shouldn't say programs. Texas just went to Omaha recently. Even that was a surprise. Um, when's the last time Oklahoma went? Twenty ten. Yeah. And that's their last Omaha trip. Texas. They won one regional two or three years ago, which was right. the last yeah. time they were in the tournament. Yeah. So it's been a little bit slower transition in the ago, PQ's era, and you know that was a. I, I really like Coach Hughes. I thought he did a great job at Virginia Tech, but he's from Boston, <laughs> you know. He's from Boston. He was a BC with the Davidson. Uh, he coached at Virginia Tech. That's a. I just remember that struck me as a very strange hire at the time. It was. Uh, I don't know how set up for success Pete Hughes was to go across the country to Oklahoma and replace a guy for better or for worse for all his warts. Sonny Galloway knew that area. He had been an assistant in Oklahoma. Then he was a head coach at Oral Roberts. Then back to Oklahoma as the head coach. That's just a. That, that's a tough one. I feel like you have to know Oklahoma and Texas to win at Oklahoma. And, you know, Pete Hughes, is, he's got some talent in there. They had more players drafted than any other program last year. That's a tough – that's a hard job. It's hard to win in the Big 12 right now because it's the fourth out of four of these, you know, quote-unquote, B, you know, old BCS leagues. Right now, I'd rather play in the Big 10. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the Big 10's stronger. And we had a big matchup in the Big 12 uh, – Big 10 this weekend, Michigan-Michigan State – uh, Jimmy, you can go off my point of the Big 12 if you want to. Obviously, Teddy, you can too. But uh, I don't know what you guys uh, thought of the, of the Big 10 results this weekend. We wound up with two Big 10 teams ranked this week. But the 
showdown that was there in Ann Arbor. I was in Ann Arbor, correct? It was in both. Oh, so they, they split so it. They, split they did it one up. of those. Okay, yeah. I kind of like this series. Uh, I've been I've been to one of those. I've been to a to a Baylor uh, Texas A and M series that was split back in the day. So it's fun. We don't do that in ACC country that I know of. Any of the teams here do that? No, I don't know why Duke and Carolina and North Carolina State and Wake, for that matter, can't can't handle that. I forty traffic is probably your number one reason. That's <laughs> probably. Uh, tra- uh, um, what's the word that starts with an I? <laughs> I can't even think of it. With something objects in motion, inertia. Can't think of inertia. Inertia is probably number one. This is yeah. already in motion, yeah. but number two is probably I forty traffic. But uh, this this uh, kind of split home series. Michigan State comes out on top of this one, and uh, the Big Ten series, uh, the Big Ten standings are very tight at the top, guys, and um, it still seems like Minnesota's, uh, they're still in first place. Are they still the favorite to win this uh, as it is right now? Well, I mean, they've got Indiana, which is in second place, coming in this weekend, and I guess because that's in Minneapolis, you would have to favor the Gophers. Both Minnesota and Indiana have already played their six wins against Purdue and Northwestern, which are... You talk about bottom feeders. Those yes. two, those two teams this year, are two of the worst, probably the two worst teams I'd say in these power conferences. Is there a worse team in a power conference than Northwestern or Purdue? And those two teams, I think, have combined for ten wins. Yeah, they're those those two so teams are, are rough. It's like right Wazoo now. is I'm probably your Wazoo, only. But the Wazoo beat Oregon State. Beat exactly. State, yeah. Exactly. So um, yeah, which Michigan State is in third place in the Big Ten, and they have not played Northwestern. They did play Purdue. They don't have Northwestern on their schedule, so I believe that's a hindrance to the Spartans' chances of winning the regular season. Yeah, they're only a game and a half out right now, so depending on how this um, uh, this weekend in Minneapolis breaks, you know, it'll we'll see we'll see where things go. Um, I think uh, Michigan State's closing schedule is not it's not the easiest. They've got Maryland, they've got uh, Nebraska, and they've got Iowa, who are uh, all solid teams there in the, the Big Ten and. So it'll be interesting to see how they uh, how they navigate that. Um, but you know, Minnesota having already been Michigan, um, you know, having Indiana at home this weekend. I mean, they're uh, they're looking like they're in pretty good shape there. Yeah, and it kind of struck me about with Michigan how their uh, their resume is actually kind of thin. I mean, they lost head to head to Minnesota, and now they lose to Michigan State, and they really, other than I believe they swept Nebraska, but other than that, they really haven't done anything especially loud like over the course of the year. So I mean, they're I mean, their RPI is still good. Their RPI is still better than Michigan State's, but which is kind of surprising. Right. But, um, yeah, but I mean, I like. I mean, the Spartans feel like they've been pretty consistent, and that's you know, it's obviously their it shows. You know, we get them back in the top twenty-five for the uh, second, you know, second time in three weeks. That was to be my my question, Jim. Is we're talking about the Big Twelve as a three-bid league, and I feel like those are three very secure bids. The Big Ten, it feels like it could be a little squishier because mm-hmm. Indiana's in second place. They've certainly had a nice run here in the league, but their RPI is north of 100. Um, you know, Michigan State's RPI is a little low. Michigan, as you said, their resume is just okay. It feels like there are, what, five top 75 RPIs in that league, but it feels like this could be a league that could be a two-bid league. It could be a three- or four-bid league, I guess, mm-hmm. if things break right. I mean, is that a fair read of the Big Ten Yeah, right I think now? that's that's right. I mean... So got the the you know, Maryland's kind of been going back and forth every week. They just requisite they, Maryland yeah, reference from Jim Shoulders. <laughs> they beat Penn State. They took two out of three at Penn State this weekend. Who'd been uh, pretty solid, but um, yeah, I mean, so they've been kind of back and forth, you know, each week on the uh, whether I have them in or not. And then yeah, the I mean, you got so you got those you got Minnesota, Michigan, Michigan State, Terps, 
So four pre team probably something we'd expect probably three of those four will probably get it. If possibly all four. I mean. The way I see it, Minnesota and Michigan, if they just take care of business at this point, they're in pretty solid shape. I mean, they've top 30 RPIs. They both, um, you know, Minnesota at 25 and 13 doesn't quite have, like, Michigan's overall record is better. They, Michigan probably has some better non-conference stuff than Minnesota did. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I think both of them are, are pretty safe right now, and it's just going to be a matter of can Michigan State hang in there with its RPI or, or can um, – can Maryland get its RPI back up? And can Indiana do what Michigan did last year, which right. is, you know, have a pretty poor start to the season but recover and then go win in the Big Ten tournament? One other thing about Maryland, as you mentioned, it's just been such an up-and-down season for Mike Schworn. I think he's really – his draft stock has taken a hit. I know I talked to a scout early who really liked the change-up, still like the slider, but the fastball command and velocity have been erratic this year. He became what their all-time strikeouts leader this weekend, so – I mean, clearly he's had a decorated career, even if he hasn't had a great junior season. It's just hard to see. I mean, he, to me, he's just almost like analogous to like a Shane Kamine from Days of Yore. Uh, this is the guy who made Nebraska's baseball program pretty much by himself, really started things. It was Dave Van Horn's number one important recruit was to get a Friday starter for what turned out to be four years um, for Kamine. Schwartz just feels like he's that kind of guy. I hope he's not there for four years. I hope if he wants to sign – this year he gets drafted high enough and, and signs. But um, it, it's, it's amazing to me in some ways that Maryland is still in this discussion when the unicorn has not had his uh, the kind of year that they expected him to have. So uh, I know he's been good, but in past the last two years he's been great. Right. I mean, they did drop him off Friday at one right. point. Right, yeah. right. No, and he, and he's, he was back in that role this weekend. Only because of injury, really. Uh, this, he didn't really earn his way back there, but he may earn his way into staying there. Although it, I mean, he pitched well, and uh, you know, I mean, they need him to. They, they need him. They're. Uh, I mean, they don't need him to be what he was last year necessarily, but they do need him. Yeah, that's that's what Coach Chef said here in the press release. That it was important for him and for our team. I mean, those those two things have been inextricably linked the last two years. But this is a team that's won regionals each of the last two years um, on the road. This is uh, and now it's a team that's on the verge of not even making it. To regional play, so that was a big win for him, a big win for for Maryland. Um, the other, I guess, the that we have to talk about on the podcast every week is the top of the rankings are dominated still by Southeastern Conference teams. Teddy, you were in Columbia. Let's talk a little bit about that. They played two and a third games in Columbia this weekend. Uh, Florida with a dramatic come from behind victory on Friday night with two solo homers off Josh Regan in the ninth inning. Um, it's Reagan, right? Not yeah. Reagan. Josh Reagan. Um, Jonathan India's home run was shocking in a way because that was a, not a pitch that looked like it was going to be driven out of the park. Well, and so, he's not a guy that, um, that was second home run of the year. Yeah, and even when he was in high school, uh, you know, when you talk to guys, you know, power was not a thing that Jonathan India got talked about. I mean, I, I went back and I looked at all my notes on Jonathan India, which are copious from last year's draft. <laughs> um, he was a guy, and yeah, he was he was Florida's top position player recruit in this class, and I feel like sometimes he gets lost a little bit because they have so many arms and you know because of everything that they have at Florida. But he's having a really nice year. I mean, he was their third he's their third leading hitter. Um, but home runs are not he's not a power hitter. He's a contact guy. He's a line drive guy, and you know, but he got a hold of that one and it went out pretty good. And that was a huge home run. That was the one that tied the game. The Nick Horvath. Uh, which was even more surprising. Right. I mean, Nick Horvath is uh, mostly, he's a two-way player, and when he does play positions, 
mostly he's a defensive replacement or a pinch runner, which is how he entered the game. But they left him in, and Sully left him in to take that at bat, and uh, he gets rewarded with a game-winning home run. That was, and, and the place just fell silent. You know, that was a raucous crowd, it's as often is the case at uh, the artist formerly known as uh, Game uh, Carolina Stadium. What is it now? Founders Park? Founders Park. Founders Park. Couldn't remember the, the corporate title. Um, but so that kind of a loss, pretty great win for South Carolina the next day to come back out and win the way they've won. Gene Cohn with a hit, a key hit, and a pitching staff that does its job. A pitching staff that's been fantastic. You know, Clark Schmidt was good Friday. I think Webb was even a, a bit better the next day. Yeah, Brandon Webb definitely stepped up in a big way. Um, they were. I know Chad Holbrook was was curious to see how his team would respond to uh, to the way they lost on Friday night. I mean, that's not easy feeling like you have a game one feeling against, like you outplayed your opponent. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, you you when they've handed a lead to Josh Reagan this year, usually they walk off the field with a victory. So you know, that was it. Could have been very demoralizing. But they responded well, and you know you have to against Florida. You have to be there fully mentally because of all the talent that's there. Uh, you, you can't show up at the park and not not be fully invested. So South Carolina came out facing a really tough matchup in AJ Puck, and and he, and he threw well. Yeah, Puck that struck was, out ten guys. I don't know if it was peak Puck, but it was that's just fun to say. But it, that was close to peak Puck. Yeah, I mean that was uh, that was everything you want from AJ Puck, really, and um, Braden Webb matched it basically. I mean, he went th- he went out there, and then Tyler Johnson came in and got some huge outs, and um, you know, South Carolina is able to to get away with a two one win. I don't know how many times you guys have gotten this tweet this year. I'm sure you have. How, how many tweets have you gotten about Josh Reagan versus Tyler Johnson from Gamecocks fans? It's just like it was accelerated. This it was so much this weekend that I got some of those. But I gotta guess that both of you guys have gotten that this year. I mean, it's a it's an interesting discussion. Um, Johnson is by far the better prospect. He right. looks more like a closer. You know, he he's out there throwing throwing really hard fastballs in, in the mid '90s, and Josh Reagan is a uh, is not. <laughs> he's uh, he's uh, out of the Michael Roth uh, mold, basically. But like he's like a Beastie Boys closer. He's crafty. Yes, I mean that's something that South Carolina has a lot of success with, though. So um, you know, I, they stuck with Johnson on Saturday, and that was something that. You know, Holbrook talked about he just felt like he played his gut there. He liked the way Johnson had thrown in the eighth. And, um, you know, it would be interesting to see how they manage that going forward. But I think the, the good thing for the Gamecocks is they have two guys there that they can, uh, they can rely on, which is good because their bullpen does not have the depth that Florida's has. So if they can have two kind of elite guys, um, you know, that's, uh, that's big for them. Because at some point, I mean, if they played Sunday, Johnson was – pretty much going to be unavailable. Certainly nobody has the, the depth that Florida really has, and that's what makes Florida Florida, Jimmer. But both those teams, I guess the thing is, by losing that third game and no one loses that series, those teams are both really in the driver's seat for top eight, for national seeds, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, pretty much this whole position. I mean, I mean, South Carolina is still in first place by a game, you know, technically in the SEC East. So, I mean, I don't know what the rest of their schedule looks like. I'm sure – Oh, no, I know they still have to play A&M, so that will be a big series. It's not but, easy for either one of them. But, uh, I mean, they're – but yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, I already had both of them as national seeds, and this doesn't really change that. Um, I probably wouldn't have changed even if the series had been finished, honestly. But yeah, I got those two in A and M. I mean, Mississippi State, we have number three in the rankings. All, I mean, the way things are playing out, there very well could be four from one conference, whether it's the ACC or SEC. They're just not. 
with uh, Coastal Carolina getting swept. There's just Ooh. not too many, not too many other options. So that's we might well be heading in that direction. You're talking about for the national top eight seeds. national seeds, yeah. And that that's kind of where I was gonna go. I mean, obviously Mississippi State did what it needed to do. That seems like a, a rough weekend for Alabama's at-large hopes as well, right? Yeah, general, little... How often do SEC teams with RPIs in the 40s and north make yeah, it, get, get at-large bids? If you get outside the 40s, you're in trouble. And that's where Alabama is. Yeah, they, they need to pick it up. For, Our, um, for national seed hosting, though, uh, UCSB has creeped back into the top 10. And yeah. because Cal Poly uh, lost this weekend... Spit the, the bid, I believe, is the fair way to say that. I mean, they got swept by Long Beach. I mean, the Big West is now bunched up all again. Yeah, that could go any number. I mean, there's, I think there's still a game behind Fullerton. They are. Right. Fullerton is still in first place. Yeah, so, I mean, but yeah, UCSB, that's... I mean, if, if they did finish in second, they then they. I mean, they're not going to give it to a second place team. Right. I mean, but, they do have to win the Big West. But I mean, yeah, the RPI is there. The ballpark the, is the not. Ballpark is not. <laughs> that's, that's a problem. That's a yeah. That's a whole other topic. It is uh, that's a, a messy one to deal with. But they they are the out. only non SEC ACC team in the except for Texas Tech yeah, in, in the top, top sixteen. I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Coastal, Coastal <laughs> wow. fell to 17, so yeah. That's uh, damning. That really is. I mean, that's just damning. Yeah. And Southern Miss loses at Florida Atlantic, and if they had won that series, they'd be better off in the RPI and in control of Conference USA, and instead they're not. Yeah, I'll, you could have three like, regionals in the Magnolia State. which would Because Ole Miss uh, did what it needed to do. That's another series I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about here, guys, was you know, Ole Miss got off to a tremendous start this year. They had a very difficult schedule to start SEC play. They hit it like a roadblock, and it really, you know, especially when they got swept at home by South Carolina, that was really like a game-changing kind of series. It really announced that South Carolina, after a very weak pre-conference schedule with the exception of the Clemson series, which it lost, but that's really where South Carolina announced what it was all about this year. Ole Miss has kind of been a little bit more under the radar since then, but this, this weekend, taking care of business against LSU, feels like that really kind of puts Ole Miss much more in control to host a regional, and LSU... I don't see what is their what's on their resume to be a regional host besides I mean, Alex thing, Box Stadium is huge and yeah. lots of Tiger fans go there. Yeah, they beat Vanderbilt two out of three at home. That's pretty much that's the beginning and end of their uh, marquee resume. wins. Because def- def- this team has struggled defensively. It has yeah. this new identity offensively. It still feels like it's a little in- inconsistent offensively. Um, you know, it just doesn't feel like uh, LSU. Yeah. I-, I guess. Teddy, do you think either of these teams has a claim to being a great team, or are they just both pretty good teams this year? You know, I I think Ole Miss has got a bad rap. I think that team is really good. I don't know about great, uh, but it's. I mean, they beat Louisville. Remember, um, you know, they have right. they have some pretty good SEC series wins. Um, they're. I don't know that their rotation is what I would really call. You know, to to be a great team. I don't know that they have the pitching for that, but they they hit. With they, their offense is really good there with Colby Bortles. Uh, J.B. Woodman went off this weekend. Tate Blackman has um, fully recovered from uh, last year's disappointment. I'll tell you what um, J.B. Woodman also does. He throws like crazy. Yeah, he's he fun four, to watch. He had four outfield assists this weekend, he, all at the plate, or he's, three. He's very fun to watch throw. I'm not sure. That the scout, I'm surprised the scouting report hasn't gotten out to not run on him, but he's, I mean, he's fun to watch throw. Yeah, you would think... That they would know, and I'm sure they do know, but <laughs> I, he threw out three runners at the plate this weekend, and he hit um, three home runs, threw out three runners at the plate. Like I mean, he, had a, he had a huge series for them, and, and that was uh, 
he got some critical outs for them and, and obviously provides some critical offense. So, I mean, when they get going offensively, I mean, they're pretty tough. And they have, like, overall pitching. They just maybe don't have the studs that some of these other guys have. And, again, uh, you know, LSU hit this weekend. They, they have some offense. Um, and the thing is, it just maybe in some other years, or maybe this year with the, how, how weak the rest of the country is, Maybe there's still a shot for LSU to be a, a regional host. They still have time, obviously, on their schedule, too. Yeah, I mean, when you have three SEC series left, you pretty much have – you still have chances to, to add the marquee wins. I mean, they play Florida at the end of the year. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's one chance right there. They get them in the box. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see where LSU lands, how many hosts the SEC gets – uh, obviously plays a factor in that. I'd still be surprised if it's more than five. Well, I yeah, it would be. But I did see Paul Maneri, um out there making a case for six. Um, so That's what I'm saying. That's why, because he knows he's six. Yeah. So know? we'll see. We'll see. The other, other SEC series I wanted to mention and bring up was uh, Kentucky guys uh, going to Auburn. I, I guess to their credit, they avoided the sweep. <laughs> um is Kentucky there? They don't have to worry about anything here, do they, Jimmer? As far as at large bid, or because it doesn't feel like Kentucky's played great. They're into late. the forties too. Yeah, I mean, that's, you're kind of wandering, wandering in the wrong, wrong direction. Um, I mean, as long as you finish close to five, if they get to fourteen wins, they should be fine in the conference. And like, if you're in the four, fourteen wins and you're in the forties, you'll probably be okay. Got to give so, it up to Kyle Cody yeah. also this weekend for his team losing the first two games. And uh, being a senior when his team needed him the most and uh, pitching one of his better games in SEC play, pitching into the eighth inning, protecting a lead, um, you know, by the time that he came out, it was an 8-1 or 9-1 lead um, and gave up a couple runs late. But uh, that was a big start for Kyle Cody. Uh, just to, to still just get back to Kentucky's overall chances, um, just, they're, they're certainly – they're still stu- they're just scuffling a little bit, it feels like, at this time of the year. And it doesn't feel like they've really – uh, they've hit the, it's the wrong time of year well, they for them needed, to be struggling a bit. They needed to get healthy this weekend against Auburn. Right. Um, because it's a they team get, with five wins in the SEC. And they get South Carolina this weekend. That's not going to help. Maybe they get Javon Shelby hot. He had two home runs on Sunday. Shelby's had power all year, but he came into the weekend hitting below 220, if memory serves. So um, just feels like that. the SEC has a seven teams that are outstanding, six, seven teams that are Really strong. They could knock each other off. There's some, yeah, there's some separation amongst those teams now. But that's kind of squishier middle. We've talked about the bottom. I mean, Tennessee gets swept at home by Mizzou this weekend. Yeah, Not there's, there's a team that's, that was Mizzou. that's out of it. I mean, th- that's the opposite of what they needed after winning their series yeah, last had, weekend. They just Vanderbilt. played themselves into your next four out. Right. Yeah. And then they yeah, go out this week Vandy. and yeah. lose to Alabama State at home. And then Missouri comes in and, and wins that series. I tell you, and Nick Senzel looks so good playing shortstop. Watching, they, he had a lot of balls hit to him, especially on Sunday's game. So I, I just have my computer, my my uh, DVR set up to watch any to catch any Tennessee games, and I try to speed through and watch a lot of Nick Senzel because he's the high draft guy. He's just so much better defensively than I was led to believe <laughs> this spring. He's more agile. He comes in on the ball. He's got easy arm strength. He's playing really well. I can't remember the last time a guy like that, uh, you know, a guy who could be the first overall pick is going to be, I don't think he'll be the first overall pick, but I think he'll go in the first three picks. He's not going to make the SEC tournament, not to mention the NCAA tournament. That's rough. Yeah, they're dead last in the They're dead last in the league. league. 
I mean, I know that there are, you know, there are going to have to be opportunities in this. There are still opportunities in the schedule. But it's just stunning, Jim, that they're... They just have to, they about just have to win out, basically. I mean, they're 6-15. and 15. Oof. <laughs> that's really... That's not going to get a done mojo. And they've had, you know, uh, their best player has played well. Second home run of the game. He had two home runs of the game yesterday. It's not like he's not trying. It's not like he... Uh, but it just, it's just stunning to see a guy who's that level of prospect in the, NC, in the SEC... And he's uh, not going to probably play in the conference tournament. That's just, that's brutal. It's brutal. And then the other team in the SEC that was kind of on this bubble, still is, is Georgia. Yeah. They get swept by Vanderbilt. I mean, that's... They're under 500 overall now. I mean, that, they're... Yeah. I, I was about to say that, Jim, that... that I mean, their RPI, last I checked, was higher than Kentucky's and higher than Alabama's. Mm. But their overall record now, under 500, obviously, puts them yeah, in Yeah, I mean, they're... They had this just... Brutal stretch of schedule where it's like all ranked teams. And you wrote and about it a couple weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, I mean they were holding their own, and I think they were seven and nine or something during the stretch before this weekend. But now, yeah, they just go up into yeah, Nashville and just get smoked. That started with that A and M sweep, and then they beat South Carolina, and then these last two weekends against Florida and they, um, and Vanderbilt. That has I mean, not they avoided the well. sweep at Florida, so that right, was they fine, snuck but, it. Yeah. Right. That's it. They had to find a way to sneak in a win. Again, kind of like Kentucky did, it's a very different. We had to figure out a way to sneak in a win. Don't get swept. But, I mean, so, I mean, they, they do get swept, though, twice in, in this stretch, which yeah. was A&M and yeah, Vanderbilt. Yeah, A&M and Vanderbilt. Um, There's no shame in that, necessarily, but to be a good team, right. you have to not, you have to avoid that. Yeah. You know? So, anyway, it's a, and speaking of sweeps and, and the state of Georgia, I guess that was other most surprising. Series of the weekend, guys. We ended up not ranking either of these teams, uh, which kind of surprised me a little bit, but I think I fought against one of them. So <laughs> I guess that part didn't surprise me. But Georgia Tech sweeping Coastal Carolina. Um, Jim, just you know, last week, Coastal was a, a national seed mm-hmm. in Schoenerdology, correct? Yep. Uh, talk about spitting the, the bit. Yeah. Uh, what happened? Oh, well, they blew a big lead in the Saturday or in the game two of that series. I think that really kind of set them back. I mean, because then they had to they had a game suspended, right? And then they came back the next day, blew a lead, and ended up losing the final game. So I'm sure that probably had some uh, carry over there. But yeah, I mean, they, you know, they were up there in the RPI. They're dominating their conference, which they still are technically. But so that was it's kind of just like you're looking for anybody, any non ACC SEC team to be a national seed because you figure that's what the committee would do, but. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's to get to not just to get swept by, you know, obviously a good ACC team, but not one of the elite ones, and to have it, you know, happen at this stage of the year where it's going to be in, you know, in front of a lot of people's memories. I mean, that pretty much just, I, I just can't. I mean, their RPI is down to like it's seventeen now, so they're still right behind not, Georgia Tech at exactly. sixteen. And Georgia Tech had a uh, right in front of Georgia Tech. Oh, right in front of Georgia Tech, yeah. Texas, 18, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and that's yeah. cer- certainly affected by weather significantly, but um, you know, this is a team that is thought of as a very offensive team, Yeah. and they can And Georgia bust, Tech's pitching had been a mess. Exactly. This this matchup should have favored Coastal Carolina. Yeah. I guess, Teddy, what do, you, what, do you take more away on the positive side? We can let you go chat if you need to, but... Uh, what what is uh did you take more away on the positive side here for the Yellow Jackets or more for or negative on on the Shana Clear side? Well, it's obviously a big positive for Georgia Tech. I mean, they're um they're right back in the the thick of the hosting discussion. They have Miami this weekend, which is another opportunity to 
uh, you know, they're going to have to carry that momentum. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in Atlanta. That the series is is another home series for them, which is big. Um, but I think, I mean, with the, it's unfortunate that this is going to be the way it is for for Coastal. But this is a great April. This looks like them getting exposed against a really good team, and you know, you get anytime you have a mid major do something like this. You know, there's always the question of, well, could they do that week in and week out right. in the SEC, in the ACC, in the Big Twelve, in the Pac Twelve? And this weekend makes it look like no, Coastal couldn't. And that their gaudy record is a product of playing in the Big South, which is not having a good year. And I don't know whether that, how true that is, but that's certainly going to be the perception coming off of this. And I mean that that's that's really too bad for them. They were having a great year, and you know, for this series to mean that, you know, for it to go that way is is just really unfortunate for them. But at the same time, you got to pitch better than that. You got, and the thing is, they had it lined up. They lose the first game. But on Saturday, they have an eight. It's a slugfest early. They're down 5-2. But they go to Andrew Beckwith, one of their submarine guys. Mm-hmm. They're great with submarine guys. I forget their names, but I remember going to the Big, <laughs> the big South Tournament Championship game in uh, High Point in 2012. Uh, the afternoon game that I went I to. I remember that, yeah. Before the Rodon, uh, Ben Moss showdown, mm-hmm. the first Carolina uh, NC State ACC Tournament showdown mm-hmm. um, in Greensboro. And... That was a great game. Liberty was a good team, and they got close to Coastal early, and Coastal went sub-sub out. It, their submariners just totally shut the door. And Beckwith pitched great, uh, puts up five zeros, starts running into trouble the ninth. They go to their closer, Mike Morrison, who's been outstanding all year. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't close the door. Connor Justice with a big game-tying two-run homer, and then uh, Matt Gonzalez gets the winning one. So um, that's the, it's, it's not just they lost. They lost with the guys they wanted on the mound. And then on Sunday, they got to a deficit. Austin Kitchen, their freshman left-hander, pitched great out of the bullpen in a seventh-inning game that followed on the, you know, after the resumption of play. So they lost with their guys on the mound. So that's the more distressing part, i got to think, for Coastal. My look at them in Chapel Hill was in person, I, I was impressed with their team. I wasn't blown away, but I was impressed. And this is, like you said, so it's too bad that this – Series, I think, is going to be magnified in that con- in that conference room when the committee meets later in the month. Especially because you know when you're looking at host sites in this region, the Carolinas, Virginia, and Georgia. Last yeah. year there was nothing to be found. This year there are plenty of options with South Carolina, North Carolina State, Virginia's back in the mix now. Georgia Tech and Coastal too. But I mean, there are options where there weren't options last year, and that's I mean that's not going to do them any favors. Completely agree, and let's touch on a couple of those that you just mentioned also. Virginia puts itself back. I mean, they, they were already ranked. We, we, the Cavaliers were trending in the right direction. But to go on the road in, in the league and sweep a team is never easy, and especially when Pitt has T.J. Zoik. Um, but uh, Connor Jones deals in that one, outduels Zoik, and then uh, Virginia goes on and, and sweeps the series. Pretty significant, obviously, for the Cavaliers. They seem like they're kind of cemented themselves in that fifth spot mm-hmm. in the ACC behind however you want to rank them, Louisville, Florida State, NC State, Miami. That's the top four. Virginia kind of setting itself up as that fifth team. And it does seem like they're in, in contention to host a regional. Yeah, I mean, certainly they're up to 16th in the RPI, but 
the entire conference is up there, basically. It's, right. Uh, it's almost like the RPI. You can't even use that anymore. How high is North Carolina in the RPI? They they're are still like, like 14, yeah, right? they're yeah. 14. But the thing about Virginia is they are now in second place in their division. Right. They, they have that place. series win against Miami. They are the defending champions, and they close pretty easily. They have this weekend off. They still have Virginia Tech, which might not help the RPI, but it'll help the record. And I don't remember. Yeah, you either. better not lose a game in that series. <laughs> right, right. But, I mean, they. Uh, I mean, and so Georgia they, Tech is the other team. Georgia Tech. So they have they have a pretty good chance to finish with a, a nice looking ACC record. Um, you know, really pull themselves out of the middle of the pack. And they're, they're you know, and the other part of that is they're playing well. You know, they're, they're, yeah. the record's good. It feels like they're playing cleaner games. It feels like their scores are a little bit lower. I mean, I know? said so many times that. I trusted that staff to get yeah, it figured out by May. Did. Here it is May. That staff has it figured out. They do. And I, I gotta just say, I'll say again. I mean, Jimmer's heard me say this for three years, two years now at least. Uh, how much I like Adam Hazley, and I knew they were gonna wind up having to use him as a pitcher. I didn't know he'd be that good last year as a as a pitcher. Goes eight scoreless to to finish things out yesterday. That guy's just a ball player. You know, it's the ball player. Um, the other ACC series of note to an extent, Jimmer how. How did, did Duke save its uh, at-large hopes by pulling out a game that you did yesterday on ESPN3, uh, avoiding a sweep at NC State? They sure looked bad the day I went to go see them on yeah. Saturday. That was ugly. Yeah, I mean, it certainly was a big win for them. I mean, that series, I mean, they easily could have won the Friday game. They had a lead into the uh, eighth inning. Right. Um, Their so Cornell really, pitchers are both yeah, really are, good. Yeah. Kellen Urban and Brian McAfee are legitimate ACC pitchers. Yeah, I wasn't there on Friday, but Urban looked like he was – Dominant. I mean, he had a rough first inning, but then he was very efficient after that. And yeah, Brian McAfee was just, I mean, it was kind of strange. I mean, he's, you know, the sinker baller, but he was getting one fly out after another yesterday, but it, it worked for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a big win for them. They're 10 and 14, 43rd in the RPI. And their schedule is not, I mean, they have, well, let's say they play Florida State, I guess, um, I can't remember if it's this weekend or next. And they have exams this weekend. Yeah, so they're off. Weekend. So their next series is Florida State when they do play it. And then they finish with Pittsburgh. Those pesky exams. <laughs> it does feel like the ACC, though, some of these, this middle is kind of shaken out there with Notre Dame with us, a uh, very, very uh, uh, momentum sapping doubleheader loss to Miami of Ohio. After losing a no, midweek Oh, just, just Ohio. Yes. Gotcha. Wrong, yeah. wrong, uh, wrong Kent state. Kent State beat Miami of Ohio for Coach Jeff Duncan's 100th career win, and there is your MAC update. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, can you tell who's the MAC alum in the office? <laughs> Um, but that, so that that was uh, not good. Not a good look for the Fighting Irish. No, they're just a, they went from being in to being just about completely off the, I, off the they, radar. Their their choice is either winning the ACC tournament or getting incredibly hot because they do have some good games here coming. They have a couple of midweeks against LSU even, but they're really going to have to almost run the table. They're going to have to run the, and the, the basically their series at North Carolina in two weeks is like the loser of that series is going to be in really rough shape for making yeah. the ACC tournament. So North Carolina's going to have this gaudy, potentially have this very gaudy RPI and not make the ACC tournament because they've still got Louisville and NC State sandwiched around a home series with Notre Dame. I mean, they have Louisville at home, I believe, yeah, Notre Dame at home, and that NC State. They're going to have to come out of the finals break that they had this last weekend playing a lot better than they have been because they have to finish strong here. Because it feels like... Uh, their RPI does not tell the story of who they are. No. <laughs> and that's fair to say with North Carolina. They're not one of the top 15 teams in the country, no matter what the uh, – but the RPI almost feels like it's broken this year. Yeah. Um, it's it, – it, I mean, we have this many teams from the two conferences. It's just 
It's it's almost useless. We've talked about how the West is down. We did rank another Pac-12 team this week. We didn't rank uh, Fullerton. I get it. Why we? I don't have really a, a top 25 resume. They are leading the Big West. In the Pac-12, we did rank UW this week. Um, so we have the Huskies in. They are in a virtual tie for first, but that's actually stretching no, the future. They're half no, game tie. back, right? No, they, uh, oh, they are. Okay. Utah, so when you looked at it late last night, Utah had not played yet. Utah, they lost the finale to UCLA. Yes. Um, now, why that series had some very strange start times, and I'm not quite sure why Saturday's game started as early as it did and Sunday started as late as it did, but the Pac-12 after dark was in effect last night. <laughs> Pac-12 after dark, I like that. Um, that will be the great name of the podcast. If it's not already, um, it's not original to me, so it probably is. But the uh, so so this league, UW at the top of the league, we think looks a little bit better than uh, than Utah at the top of the league. We ranked the Huskies. I'm still at a loss to figure out how the Huskies win so many games. It appears the number one answer, brace yourself, Teddy, maybe bunting. They far and away lead the Pac-12 in bunting. There are only two teams over 50 sacrifice bunts in the Pac-12. They're one of them. Um, Jack Meggs, uh, Dave Esker told uh, uh, you know, Mike Lanana last week that he thought Jack Meggs could be the MVP of the league. What does he lead the league in? Bunts. He leads with 15 sacrifice bunts. This guy's like from the, he's like uh, Augie Garrido and George Horton's love child, but he's actually Lindsey Meggs' child playing for his dad at UW and leads the league in sacrifice bunts. I think he has seven extra base hits all year. It's a very strange mix at, at Washington, guys. I'm not sure if you guys can tell me why you think Washington's winning because I I'm going to guess, Teddy, that you don't think they're winning because of their bunting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what they do have is a, a great closer. Uh, Troy Rawlings is leading the Pac-12 with 14 saves, and he got 11 outs in Sunday's um, series finale win at Cal. It was a 7-4 win, and um, Megs went to him pretty early, and, and Rawlings came through. Now, he's not a typical or a, a prototypical closer himself. You know, We talked about that in South Carolina, and Rawlings is, again, not, not a prospect right. um, in that way. But – he has been incredibly effective for them this year. And then um, Alex Nesbitt was great for them this week. Yeah, of, like in this yeah. uh, versatile middle relief role, got the win in all three of their victories this this week, which is uh, pretty good. I mean, they pitch they pitch well. What they do is they pitch well. And, um, and Rawlings, by the way, just as you mentioned this, Brian Tom, their SID, had this great note in their release. Uh, 13 of his 14 saves are more than three outs. So he's been yeah. extended a lot this year. That is a great stat. He's uh, He has enough... Um, innings that he qualifies for the ERA title and I believe he's which also, he's gonna win because it's yeah, 068 I believe he's leading the the Pac-12 in ERA and um he might be leading the country I'm not not positive on that it, but, but he it is, has been the the, the bullpen though. he's been he's having a great year that's that's a hell of a bullpen one more staff from Brian their bullpen in their last 18 games is nine and one with a 154 ERA so that's getting the job done uh for UW Jimmer, how many? How, what's what's bid? What's Shoner Knowledge going to say about the Pac-12 this week? Because uh, last week we were kind of hot on yeah. Arizona. This week we're a little bit uh, hotter Arizona. on the Huskies. Can't go and go and lose the series to USC. That's, TFCO. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. They might well, maybe they could be the you know we're talking about them. It might be the host, the you know the one team that could host. Right. Um, not not so much anymore. I mean now it's I mean UW thirty two in the RPI, so maybe they're the team that if they keep this keep this momentum going and finish strong they might could host uh still have, so we've got three teams in the top 40 of the rpi here with uw arizona and oregon state so and Cal, cal's down to 49 and cal's in a bit of trouble a bit <laughs> it feels so, like cal's not gonna make the ncaa tournament it's what not, it feels like yeah not at the 
Not it's not trending that way. I mean, they're under 500 in the league now, 10 and 11, down to 49. I mean, it'll it'll be close to see whether they're all, whether or not I have them in this week. Um, yeah, so it might just be a three bid league. I mean, Arizona Arizona State is actually kind of creeping into this discussion here. They're up to 500. They're 59 in the R, 50, 500 in the conference. They're 59 in the RPI. They're kind of. They feel like they're kind of going in the right direction. They might be the one that might actually sneak in here and make this, you know, maybe they supplant Cal. I mean, they're, they are, they feel like they do have some momentum. So we've been waiting all spring for this Utah run to go away. Uh, but they win another series. They, win, they beat UCLA. They close at home against Washington. Now, they are still under 500 overall, well under 500. But if they win the Pac-12... They need to go... Yeah, they would get an auto bid. They have to yeah. win the league and outright, no, but they're still in position to do that. And there's no tournament here. Right. So the, it's awesome. <laughs> it's really they awesome. have to go 10-3 to finish 500. So that's probably out of reach because they have not played that kind of baseball all year. They don't have the midweek stuff to make that happen. Um, and I suppose they could add some games. They're down some games, so they, they could add if they if they wanted to. But if that happened, Jimmer, like is that's a four seed, obviously. Yeah, they'd have to be. But like, what what is that? That's unprecedented. <laughs> that would seem to be unprecedented. Yeah, that's I can't even. It's hard to even wrap your mind around that, honestly. It is. I had a. Well, obviously, I mean, they're a Pac-12 leader, and they just beat eighth place UCLA, so they should be expected to win that series, of course. (laughs) (laughs) It was a home series, taking care of business. That's really funny. I'll say a couple things there. First off, everyone I've talked to who's seen Utah respects their club, scouts, guys I'm making pro uh, draft calls to. I'll say, you know, Utah is scrappy. They just don't have a whole lot of offense. They just can't hit much. But the talent level at Utah, you know, Bill Kinnebrook. Bill Kinnenberg did a nice job there. Jason Hawkins, his recruiting coordinator, is well-respected out there, works hard, unearthed some talent that other teams maybe didn't see that's come to fruition there. He's done a really nice job there identifying guys and taking advantage of when Utah went into the Pac-12, selling that to people. And the talent level there has certainly gone up. They're still under 500 overall is the thing. In the midweek, they just, you know, all, all their firepower is trained on the weekends. And it's worked. It's like Cincinnati in the American. Yeah. To a lesser extent, they're only like a game under 500, but you know they also have serious midweek problems, and were also like Utah struggled mightily at the start of the season, and yet here they are leading their conference. They have to deal with a tournament, though. Unfortunately, they they will have to deal with a tournament. But if Utah were to win this league, it would really be that'd be one of the most fascinating stories I could ever remember in college baseball for the Pac-12 to be won by an under 500 team. And so I wrote that column last issue. And everyone I've talked to on West Coast Draft Call since then, uh, no matter what level these guys are at, everyone's like, yeah, you were too kind. This, it's brutal out here. I mean, I got that from two people this weekend. Um, we're just like, yeah, this is not. So it's, just, it's about as bad as people can remember the caliber of college baseball in the West this year. And that is, you know, and the fact that we thought it was down last year when Fullerton had to rally late to be the only team that got out of regionals. For the entire West. So it feels like it's worse this year. And I hope that that trend stops soon because I, it's, it's just like college baseball is better when all those West Coast fans are feisty, Jim, and giving us a hard time. And all the teams getting knocked off. And they're just, it's not that they're beating each other up this year. They're just not good. Yeah. They're just not good. And uh, I, I don't have it in front of me, so I'll, I'll ask from a position of ignorance. I did watch some, uh, some BYU this weekend. Um, I know they wrapped up that series by beating Gonzaga. Uh, where's that conference stand right now? And who's who's in the driver's seat in that league? 
Oh, well, that one's still pretty... I think St. Mary's lost this weekend, if I remember right. I think they made, they lost a game to San Francisco. This which, three even teams, though they won that series, but that still hurts them. Yeah, Gonzaga, BYU, and St. Mary's are all really, really close together. And you had been looking at that as a multi-year yeah. league. And so BYU took two out of three from Gonzaga. Right, early. They had to, they had to rally in the ninth to, to save their at-large hopes. Because if they'd lost that game, I imagine they would have been done. Uh, yeah. So, like, right now, I mean, those three teams are still basically tied. I mean, I think they're BYU and St. Mary's are percentage points ahead of Gonzaga, who's played one more series. But the thing is, St. Mary's really hurt itself. They needed to sweep that series. They're down to 57th now, which is very borderline in the RPI. I feel like they're going to lose their mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to go there. I can't help myself. And, only, and I guess the only reason that uh, A.J. Puckett didn't uh, – didn't uh, pitch more innings without giving up a run. He's given up two runs in his last 51 and two-thirds for Pepperdine. But Pepperdine was off this weekend. This, again, those pesky exams. So uh, that helped uh, preserve his streak of days, if not innings. Speaking of exams, this is very interesting. South, well, I was in South Carolina this weekend, obviously. They had exams on Saturday. They played on Saturday. We, go, we talk about all these other schools. I mean, North Carolina, yeah. where Chad Holbrook went to school. Yep. Um, now he's coach at South Carolina, where his players are taking exams on the day that they play. You know, they, North Carolina has off for, for exams. So I don't know what, which is right, necessarily. It's strange that the SEC, no SEC team ever seems to take the week off no, for no, they exams. don't. The SEC yeah. doesn't allow that. I don't know whether they don't allow it. But no, no, no SEC do team has, has a week off ever. I've never asked that question. See, that would be a good column. I should have written that sometime in the last 20 <laughs> freaking years. You would have thought I would have noticed that. I'm glad that you just said that. So that could, I've still got three oh, days to write. And them. I mean, you have, you have teams that are, or schools that, that really are significant academic-type schools that Certainly. don't take these finals breaks. I don't think the Ivy League – I mean, I guess they finish before finals. That's how, they, that's how they avoid it. But like Northwestern, there's no, there's no finals break there. The Big Ten doesn't have finals breaks. Um, true, true dad. So, and, you know, Vanderbilt doesn't, there's no finals break. I'll speak to the Ivy League briefly just to say that I talked with those two Duke uh, Cornell transfers this weekend. And despite all of our uh, experience with uh, Hudson Belitsky here the last year plus at Baseball America, I was still very impressed. They represented well for Cornell. So I did not see that coming, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so um, they spoke highly of Hudson too, if truth must be told. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's exam time of year. And it always amazes me how a lot of these college baseball teams plow through it and still deal with all that and still play well on the weekends. And even more surprisingly, like you said, in the SEC, where, um, you know, we, I, you, you could insert, I'm impressed, Jim, your restraint, that when he used North Carolina as the example for exams, <laughs> that you did not make a joke. So kudos to Jimmer. Uh, I heard uh, my. My guy Joe Giglio was uh, trying to do that on the over the weekend from the News and Observer here. So. He's 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 practiced as well yeah. at that, and uh, we'll leave it to Joe and his Twitter feed. But uh, but yeah, it always impresses me. And then but once you're through exams, it's like those college baseball coaches always look at those players and go, "You're mine now. You know, you belong to me because the school school's over, and it should be all baseball. Yeah. So that's where you hope that some of those teams in last year with Virginia they really did turn it on." As soon as that exam break was over, basically. And Jake Boss mentioned that uh, Michigan State takes exams this week. And um, you know, so coming off this big series win, they get school finished up, and then they can you know, just focus on, on playing ball. Well, I'm going to focus on uh, editing, and uh, you guys are focused on college baseball like a laser and the draft as well. 
So uh, thanks for taking the time. I hope that uh, Mike is healthy and uh, ready for next week's uh, podcast. Teddy's going to go chat. You can, of course, read that uh, at BaseballAmerica.com. Read that transcript. So for Teddy and for Jim Schoener, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.